What's up, everybody? Welcome to the Security Squawk Podcast. I'm your co-host, Brian Horning, here with Reg Andre, Randy Bryan, and Ryan O'Hara. Hara. Ooh, can't talk to it. What's up, guys? <laughs> How's everybody doing? Trying to warm up a little bit. It's been cold here. Oh, man. I know. It's cold in Texas, too. It's probably 80 in Florida, but... Yep, it's a little <laughs> rain in the background, but it's still sunny. So, Randy, I was talking to somebody two weeks ago, and they said they were from Texas. And I got to believe them since they're from Texas. But I don't recall this. Maybe you can confirm or deny quickly. This guy claims that last year in Texas, when it got really cold there, it was below zero. Is that right? Uh, That I cannot deny or confirm because I know it was below freezing. That's what I said. I said below freezing or below zero. He was like below below freezing in every single county. It didn't get below zero here where we live, but it was was below 32 degrees, but not below zero. I think where we were, it was 15. That's what I asked him. I was like, below zero, like Celsius? And he was like, no. And I was like, it didn't get that cold. No, maybe like up in the panhandle, Uh um, you know, which which goes pretty far he, up He there. said it was below zero for like over a week. And I was yeah, like, no, not below, everywhere. I was There's like, it was way. below freezing for a week, but not below zero. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah, it's getting cold here in the U.S. Uh, big, big, uh, not that we're a weather show or anything, but big uh, vortex coming down and freezing out everybody. I think the only warm spots are like Southern California and Florida. So, <laughs> Andre has no clue what we're talking about right now. <laughs> He's there in his sunshine and his short sleeve shirt. There you go. And the thing with Florida, it's it's hotter than it sounds because we had 105 like over and over all summer long here. I go out to Florida. It's like this like a few weeks ago. It's 85 freaking degrees. 85. You'd think, oh, that feels great. I stepped out in the sun. I thought I was going to melt, man. It was 91 when I was there a week later. Mm -hmm. We had 91 for like three or four days in a row. It was great. It was great, but my body wasn't used to that. So (laughs) by three o'clock, I'm like ready for bed. (laughs) So, all right, guys, we got a good show today. Uh, We're going to do a quick update on the Jackson County. Uh, ransomware attack and where they're at with that. Plus, we have some updated information on something that we uh, covered uh, a while back around MetaBank, which is, I think, that Australian group, right? Mm-hmm. I don't, okay. And then, uh, and then, forefront forefront dermatology is uh, been recently uh, hit with a or what they have to pay as, as a result of a settlement because of a data breach. We're going to jump into that today because that's a big deal and a, and it goes along with a lot of what we talk about on this show, which is the aftermath of these attacks and you know the time it takes for these things to kind of happen. Um, you know, I, I we're trying to make sure that people understand that these ransomware events are not like quick one and done type things like you get in you get the malware you pay the ransom you move on with life um we're, we're trying to educate everyone and make them see that you know that's not the case so we're going to use that one and um one for a medical billing firm who you know kind of went under the radar a little bit of what happened to them this year in 2022 and the fallout of that 
Um, and then two quick updates on, you know, CMMC. So if you're a government contractor, somebody who, who deals with the government has contracts, CMMC is going to impact you. Um, it probably already is in some way. You, you currently are under under regulations, but um, it's only self-reporting right now. It looks like CMMC might be heading in that direction too. So we got a we got a little bit of an update for everyone regarding CMMC. And then if you own a business in the United States, we just want to update everyone kind of what we talked about a few weeks ago with the FTC safeguard rules that are in place. Um, there are lots of cybersecurity rules that are being put in place by the FTC. And we're going to update you on a couple of things there. Uh, and then just, you know, prepare yourself for the holidays. We, we have a little update towards the end on how to protect yourself during the holidays and what uh, scammers and hackers are going to be trying to do to you over the holidays and how you can do things to protect yourself. So without further ado, uh, who wants to do the fee? I'll do the fee. Yeah, right. The nice. fee is nothing except for your help in spreading the word. Uh, part of the reason that we do this, probably the main reason we do this is to spread awareness with people uh, so that they understand that the things that we're seeing on a daily basis are actually happening. Uh, it's too easy for people to uh, not talk about this type of stuff and pretend it's not happening and not think that it matters to them. Uh, but we see this on a daily basis where business owners go through this type of thing um, and it is not fun. So we're trying to spread awareness to people. Uh, so share this podcast, uh, subscribe, uh, do anything that you can to get this information out because you could be helping a business owner pr uh, protect themselves so they don't have to go through this pain. Thank you, Mr. Ryan. Yep. Share the show. Help us out. And we won't annoy you and bother you for money. <laughs> That's simple. <laughs> um, so quick update here guys i you know we we tend to on the show talk about these attacks um and then we don't ever revisit them um just to give everybody a quick update what's going on in jackson county and then an update on the medibank bank situation out in australia which we we covered pretty extensively on the show because we thought it was a a pretty big deal and it and it, and it is a big deal so uh What's going on over in Jackson County, right? You got an update for us? So they they provided a little bit of an update that had a little bit more information, kind of a lot of the stuff that we were speculating on, like the next day. Uh, they ultimately ended up being closed for three days, so Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, uh, reopening last Thursday. Uh, but since then, kind of the news on the subject has gone dark, uh, whether that has to do with the fact that it's just not a sexy story anymore, so the news outlets aren't picking up on it. Uh, or the uh, the lawyers have taken control and uh, are, are locking things down, and we're going to have to wait kind of to see how uh, things play out for them before we get any more information. But uh, ultimately, they were down three days uh, heading into the, the Thanksgiving break. Uh, so now, you know, if, if that school district is anything like the one by me, you know, we're, we're getting into a period of, you know, uh, time off and half days. And, and uh, so I, I don't know what, what – uh, how much work the students are going to be able to get in from that Thursday, Friday, last week through this week. Uh, so, I mean, the timing of this was, uh, was really um, unfortunate. And it, it's something that we see with a lot of these school breaches is, is it's happening, you know, either right before they're coming back into session or right before they're going into a break. Um, and, you know, that can be very disruptive. So we'll, we'll have to see how it all ends up playing out. But, uh, you know, it was, it was bad enough that they were down for three days. Uh, likely they're still operating, um, uh, on a limited basis, uh, even though they did, they were able to open last Thursday. So uh, we just kind of have to wait and see at this point and see uh, see how things develop. 
Yeah, I agree. They probably spent the three days trying to figure out how they're going to operate, you know, until mm -hmm. they get things back to quote unquote normal, um, which is, you know, indicative of a company that doesn't have or an organization that doesn't have a good incident response right. plan. And they kind of need, needed to do it on the fly. Um, and well, they probably you know, needed that time to really do the forensics and, you know, even get started on the point of, of, of recovering. You know, so right. they got to gather that data in order to, to have it and then then start the recovery from there. Yeah. Are we in a place now where parents don't care, like uh, parents, or it was the right term or taxpayers would be more of a proper term, um, assuming, you know, I'm, I just assume everybody does it like we do here in New Jersey and Pennsylvania. It's two states I lived in. But most of the schools are funded through uh, property taxes, right? Mm -hmm. No, no, no matter how you skin it, most states charge taxes in some way to pay for school, um, whether it comes to property, income, you know, gases, who knows. Um, but I mean, that's my thing. Like, when do parents, I mean, somebody's going to have to deal with this, not right. let alone like, imagine that most parents in these districts work right they gotta right. go to work right so who's who's taking off of work the, the the two things that parents are going to push back on in a situation like this are one that you know the, the the time that the school was closed and them having to scramble to, to deal with that and two you know taxes going up because you know having to recover from this type of stuff having to do the forensics having to involve a, a cybersecurity agency to come in and, and, and do all of this stuff isn't cheap so those are the two things that are really going to impact them um, unfortunately, I think some of the things that they don't consider are, you know, what data was was taken and, and how that data can be used and how it might affect their uh, their children as, as they go on through life. And, you know, it's, it's just one of those things where they don't know enough about what can be done. You know, that's why, you know, like we said, share the show to help people out. Um, they don't understand what the impact of that is. So they, they only think about those immediate things uh, that are impacted, you know, their their day, their schedule um, and the amount of taxes coming out. Um, uh, when they pay and i guarantee you the next school board meeting you're, you're probably you're not even going to have five parents there to do the you know commentary mm -hmm. you know, saying hey this is ridiculous what are you guys going to do about this because they just don't care and, and and when the schools you know when they have the the millage proposals and stuff like that that's not going to be their selling point you know hey we we need to raise the millage rate because we got breached you know they're going to raise the millage rate they're and, and they're going to sell it on we need to do all these improvements and they're going to bury the fact that they couldn't do those improvements because they just had to spend you know a couple hundred grand on, on incident response because they got hacked because they they didn't have good policies yeah it's just it's not i mean i, I feel bad for any county or any school district that gets hacked and the you know just the you know the the repercussions or the reverberations from these types of things like you know how do you how do if you're two parents i have two full-time jobs i own my own business i have the flexibility that i can if, you know if things are going okay here at the business usually i can pull myself away from it whenever I want. Bring right? your kids to the office and put them to work. Yeah, that too. I just put them to work. They just start deploying ransomware to everybody. Um, so, you know, but that's, that's, I have that flexibility. I can't, I can't put myself in the shoes of two parents or a single parent that, you know, now has to take personal time. Mm -hmm. And, you know, what if you only have a week or two weeks available and 
now you got to do it because your school got hit with ransomware. Um, so that's why they have to open back up after three days, in my opinion. If this was a business that wasn't under that kind of pressure, you might see them down a little bit longer. And they probably are down. They're probably not, you know. They're probably a glorified daycare at this point because they're not able to yeah. get a lot of the stuff done that they need to get done. But you know, to your point, they had to open because otherwise the parents were going to go crazy. Yeah, yep. 100%. So. Introducing the kids to books right now. This is a book. <laughs> This is what we call paper. So, uh, and then we got MetaBank, and this is just getting, this is just getting wild. What, how brazen? I mean, I guess it's hard for me to wrap my head around that we are dealing with real hardened criminals here. Like, you know, at the same level, I just maybe sometimes we in our minds minimize cyber crime versus murder you know like they're not you know one's way worse than the other but at the end of the day i don't know i mean this is an ever-evolving new type of crime and when you start seeing these thugs be as brazen as they are now with this metabank stuff so metabank was breached it was a big um medical records company out in Australia and they were breached and hackers started releasing medical information in order to hope to get pay, paid. And now the hackers are releasing more information. So that's what's going on here. That's kind of kind of the high level update. What else do we know about what's going on at MetaBank? Because it was a pretty, pretty sensitive information that was released on people, which is pretty disgusting, in my opinion. I don't know what you guys think about it, but... Yeah, just think of, yeah, just think about the largest hospital in your city, and now their data is now being released to the open. This is, mm -hmm. this is happening over there, the largest hospital in the country. So now uh, the hacker... So they got, they got ransomware. They didn't want to pay it, and there's some interesting things about that. So now the hackers are now um, sharing their fifth set of files. And this time they're um, including HIV records, hepatitis, mental illnesses. So this is like really, you know, sensitive information that they're putting the pressure for them to um, pay this $15 million ransom. But what's interesting is that these executives just got a $7.3 million bonus last week at a shareholders meeting, but they didn't <laughs> want to pay the $15 million ransom. Mm -hmm. It's uh, stuff like this that gets the government and more and more involved yeah. in things like this, because we're looking at almost 10 million records um, have potentially been breached. They're releasing samples, um, like Andre's saying, um, trying to get paid, you know, a $15 million ransom. And then what? Now they're getting bonuses. What are they getting yeah. bonuses for? Right. And this is the kind of stuff that gets government involved. Is it is it is the kind of stuff that guarantees government will get? Yes. Right. State's attorney. Well, I mean, whatever their equivalent is of of you know local you know officials that work at at the federal level in terms of law enforcement, that's going to get them involved in this, and then it's going to get ugly. Well, and the, and the level of negligence here, I think, is is you know, really, really high. The amount of data that they were able to get on a, in a single compromise, you know, there's some real big access control issues going on. Um, and, and so, you know, you mentioned the, the, the bad guys and how could they do this to people? And I, I 100% agree with that. 
But at some point, you have to stop looking at it that way and start looking at it like, you know, the outrage really should be with this company for letting this happen. You know, the way I look at it, this would be no different than, say, a car dealership deciding to store all of the keys inside of the cars unlocked during the, you know, during the would you, there, right? Would it's, you feel differently if they, if this was a quote unquote sophisticated attack? Like, yeah. would you feel differently if the company was actually doing everything? If they were doing it, well, then somebody else has a huge vulnerability that had access to everything. I mean, the vast amount of data that they were able to get, like, you know, and we talked a little bit about this last week, either they have some really terrible access controls, or there was the mother of all vulnerabilities in this system that gave them, you know, God level access to all of this stuff. Right. That to me is the biggest concern. Like if, if they had just gotten, you know, uh, you know, a certain subset of records, you know, that's one thing, you know, you're doing your due diligence. Yes. There, there are, are certain things you can't control and nobody in this room is going to tell anybody that they can, they can stop hundred percent of hacks. It's just the vast amount of data that was, was obtained in this case. That's the thing that that's really outrageous to me. Yep. I agree. Randy, any thoughts? Uh, just it's frustrating, but yep. it is what it is. I feel you. So along the same lines, this happened to uh, a company back in 2021. And I would venture to say that when we mention, you know, the name Forefront Dermatology, it probably doesn't ring too many bells with people thinking that this particular company was one of the largest breaches in 2021 um, because at the time it probably didn't seem like it was and then as time passed and people started to look at things from a forensic standpoint and really understand what was impacted by this breach here we are today fast forward almost a year and a half later and this company is now paying a 3.75 million dollar settlement to settle a class action lawsuit, which I've probably said the word class action lawsuit more in the last six months mm -hmm. than I ever said on this show, because that's what we're seeing now. And that's what I keep trying to educate businesses on is it, it's not about the event. It's not about the ransomware. It's not about, you know, paying, paying the ransom to, a group of cyber criminals, the damage is going to come. And what I see as what I call dying a slow death is defending lawsuits and defending class action lawsuits. When your data gets out there as a result of your poor cybersecurity practices. Mm -hmm. um, and in my opinion, based on this, based on other cases that I'm aware of that are settled now, these attorneys are getting very good at getting to a settlement. Um, but does, is that settlement having any impact, though? So looking looking at this particular story, so it was three point seven five million with an M, not billion, right. million, and the the breach was one of the largest of twenty twenty one, impacting more than two point four million individuals. So if they've got two point four million that were impacted, presumably they have a few more than that total as far as client base. Mm -hmm. Three point seven five million doesn't seem like that much overall. And then when you look at what the class members were getting, you know, your typical credit monitoring, um, it says up to $10,000 in reimbursement for documented losses. So they have to prove that there was money lost here, not just that that information got out. And then uh, up to five hours of lost time at a rate of $25 per hour. So, I mean, <laughs> the people basically got nothing. The yep. 
the attorney probably got got a fair percentage of that. Um, uh, that's probably the only winner in this situation. Uh, the the dermatology center, which which was the one that covered that got hit with the breach, uh, had a a fine that may or may not have cost less than than had they implemented proper procedures going in this, which is why things don't seem to change, right? If, if, right? if the fines cost less than actually doing the right thing, nobody ever learns anything. It's the cost of doing business. Yep. And even fun. Yeah, yeah, these, go ahead. These are ambulance chaser type operations with these attorneys. And the point is, and what I'm trying to say to people is it, it's not going to be about the ransomware. It's going to be about the attorney who contacts you and says, He's filing a class action lawsuit on the behalf of, you know, so many hundred thousands, what have you, people. Um, and you have to defend it. Like just because you're in business and this mm -hmm. is happening, you now have to defend it. And, you know, in most of these cases, I don't even see them getting even close to trial. Right. Because these attorneys are during discovery asking the right questions and saying, Show us this, show us that, show us proof that you were doing this. And then the lawsuit alleged that the at forefront had in, inadequate data security controls and failed to employ appropriate measures to protect patient data, which is exactly what Ryan pointed out with MetaBank in the last you know topic that we talked about. And that's where we were at with this one. So these guys are, are having to deal with this. I mean, do you think most businesses even, you know, that would be my question. Do you guys think most businesses can absorb a $4 million settlement? Like, I don't think. I don't That's think another reason why stories like this are dangerous, though, because people think, oh, hey, you know, it's a fine and I move on. But, but that doesn't that doesn't work for your average small business. No. And uh, probably this business can handle it because it's a pretty big doctor's firm. They probably have some kind of insurance. Once again, this is one of those messy, stupid things that ends up pushing it more to government and getting government more involved because, like like Ryan said, the lawyers made out great mm -hmm. and the criminals made out great. And basically that's it in this situation because $10,000, you know, that barely, barely gets a cybersecurity expert to cough in your general direction, you know, <laughs> at 25 an hour for five hours. Like, what are they going to hire? Like a college student with that with that kind of pay? I mean, well, that's how that's how all of these class action no, lawsuits I know are, are structured, right? And they exactly. you get, like I told you when I got my thing in for the for the bank for the for the credit card fraud, it like literally told me I was I was allowed to bill like seven fifty an hour, and it was like up to like two or three hours was the most I could get, and it was like. Like the most I would ever get out of it was like less than $25. So it, it's ridiculous because nobody's even going to waste their time filling this out, right? For 150 bucks max. Yep. Right. And mm -hmm. nobody's even, so the money is just going to be set aside and the lawyers will pillage, you know, 3.59 million and the rest will be left for the people named in the in the class action lawsuit so it doesn't benefit the consumer in any way but don't do you guys you guys i guess you don't agree with me i don't think that forefront dermatology is going to be around like i think this is enough of a hit where they're going to rebrand merge 
you know, they're they're not going to exist as forefront dermatology. No, I would agree with that. I mean, they're they're going to survive some way, but but yeah, right. <laughs> again, it, it just goes back to what costs more: a, a rebrand or doing things the right way. Right. Well, I did the math though. So so they're a two hundred eighty million dollar company. Yeah. They they have to pay what three point seven five. If they had spent four percent on cybersecurity, that would have been eleven million. And if you scale this down to like your regular small business, they're looking at the same thing, right? Do I spend eleven million on cybersecurity, or do I take the risk and if I get hit, I pay, I pay three point seven million, three point seven five? So it's the same thing, but just you scale it down. Yeah, which is why government's getting involved. I mean, you also can save like five dollars by not putting airbags in cars or two hundred dollars, mm -hmm. whatever they cost, you know. Um, but that's yeah, you got to imagine that there's got to be more. I mean, I, maybe I got to look into this a little bit deeper with this with this group because this is a this is just one aspect of yeah. this, which, which is one class action lawsuit. It doesn't preclude somebody else from filing on their own if they mm -hmm. opted out of this. And that's a very easy win for somebody being that there's a class action lawsuit settlement. It could also be other class action lawsuits brought against them for other things besides what this covered. Um, but on top of that, you know, they there were, you know, there there was there was a cleanup involved, right, for mm -hmm. this. And yeah, you know, they had to fix whatever the problem was. That's also factored into costing them money. But I think I based on what Andre said, my opinion is if you're a two hundred and eighty million dollar company. Uh, yeah, that's why you're settling for 3.75. And that's where the, and this is why we need, as, as Randy said, government to step in and levy the fines and do the things and make this more painful for this company. And, and, and to segue that into the stuff that we're going to be talking about here next, you yep. know, is that even going to be effective though? Because what we keep seeing is, you know, when they finally do get something down and they're going to start enforcing it, then it just keeps getting delayed and delayed and delayed. So are we even going to get to that point where it's serious enough where they're going to take action and actually, you know, enforce that action? Yeah, right. And this is the third largest HIPAA breach. And the right. fine was only $3.75 million. Well, no, this is the settlement for... The, se uh, the settlement. Okay, got yeah. it, got it. I don't think HIPAA has levied anything yet. Okay, okay. So... You know, I think regulators are still pouring over that to determine what that's going to look like, if anything at all. Should mm -hmm. you cough lobbyists right now? <laughs> see if there's anything out there. But, Randy, you got anything you want to add to this? Nope. <laughs> nope. <laughs> so then, as Ryan... Fill some time there, buddy. <laughs> yeah, as, Ryan, as Ryan mentioned, uh, you know, you also have this medical medical billing or debt collection firm mm -hmm. um is that right do i have the right one uh yeah it's uh, yeah. pfc yeah pfc so so and that's and we're going to talk about this a little bit too because it's kind of similar mm -hmm. to the, the last two that we talked about it's all this all has to do with medical information so number one if you deal with medical information in any way shape or form know that you're a target right um, even if you come close to it, because a hacker doesn't know, he's gonna get in your network and see what you got. You know, maybe you, maybe you, maybe you come close to uh, these areas, but you don't actually deal with private health information, uh, or maybe you do. So, Randy, what's happening over here with PFC? Uh, well, so PFC had a ransomware attack, and 
1.91 million patients records were probably affected. Um, this is a debt collection um, company. So basically, you know, your little lo local doctor's office, you know, somebody doesn't pay a bill. And so they just send the bill to a debt collection company. PFC happens to be one of the largest debt collection companies. And what they do is they take the information from the bill, which they have to get that information. So they've got to know what the bill was about. They got to know who it deals with, probably a social security number so they can verify with the customer when they're on the phone with them, address, phone number, all that stuff. Um, and then they start calling, emailing. I'm not sure exactly how, you know, what PFC does, but basically they go after the customers to try to get some kind of settlement on the debt. And so the fact that they've had a ransomware, I mean, it's it's almost just as bad as the MetaBank that we mentioned back at the beginning of, of the show, because you're talking names and addresses together with medical information of people together that that when it's leaked out um, can be used for targeted attacks, you know, blackmail, which, you know, that's probably probably not going to happen or could happen, though. But really the targeted attacks, because. When you're when you're doing like let's say a business email compromise, if a, if a bad actor's doing that, the more little pieces of information they have that they can put in that email they send out, mm -hmm. the more likely you are to click on it. And you know they could literally just send it out and pretend they're PFC and say, hey, we got a settlement. Um, the doctor came back and said he'd, he'd be willing to give you five percent, you know, on the dollar or ten percent on the dollar. And they're like, oh, okay, cool. And they log in, enter in their information, and then poof, you know. Lots right. of money's taken out of their account. I mean, that's just one <laughs> quick scenario off the top of my head. And and, and I think the MetaBank stuff is, is really showing that they're going to look for any way they can possibly monetize this information. So it's not just going after that provider that was breached and ransoming them uh, and then you know ransoming them again because they exfilled the data and they'll leak it. Uh, but they're, they're starting to go after the individuals where they have this. So in this case, you know, the, the medical treatment is one of the pieces of data that they may or may not have obtained. So you could take that treatment and back that into, oh, hey, this person's got a drug problem, you know, like we're seeing with MetaBank. And now that they not only can they go after the uh, the company that was breached, but they can go after that individual and say, hey, we'll, we'll send this information out to your employer. Do they know about this? Yeah. And this is this is wild because, you know, as we talked about in the last one, you know, we kind of mentioned woeful or inadequate cybersecurity practices. But you look into this one a little bit and this PFC uh, chief executive, Michael Shoup, he, well, rightfully so, in my opinion, is not responding to emails from TechCrunch. Um asking for information about its ransomware attack. Instead, the company's general counsel reiterated its boilerplate statement in an email, but declined to answer any specific questions, including why it took the company four months to notify affected healthcare providers and whether the stolen data was encrypted. It almost seems like these guys are going out of their way, which, you know, you if you're actually being investigated by law enforcement, you could look at this as like, you know, trying to evade an investigation or interfere with an investigation, you know, by doing kind of some of the stuff that they're doing in this article. Um, and this is probably the second biggest medical records 
data breach um, in 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 the in not, the history. not too far behind the one we just talked about. Yeah, and then um, and if I remember correctly, there was this uh, the a AMCA was another medical debt collector who's uh, who did medical billing for LabCorp and Quest, and they're out of business. So they filed for bankruptcy after their data breach. So right. I, I say that a lot on these on these articles, like, hey, you know, is this company going to be affected? Are they going to stay in business? Uh, you know, are they going to go? I mean, I don't see how these companies stay in business, you know, unless they're wildly profitable with what they're selling and what they're doing and they have all this extra cash on hand. I don't see how any business that's, you know, mid market or small business stays in business after a cyber attack anymore. I mean, it's I mean, statistically they don't. I think it's what is a one it way ticket to add, going out of business? Yeah, I think it's like eighty percent go under go under within six months. It's a so, very high very high number. This, this is just wild, like how how bad this is getting for for businesses, and you know. It's it's crazy to me that people just continue not to invest and not do things so they can they can protect themselves and, you know, bury their head in the sand and think they have things covered when they probably really don't. Anything else you guys want to add on this one um, <coughs> where we move on? Good. Yep. All right. So quick, two quick updates, guys, for everybody. Um, so if you if you run a business in any way, shape or form, you're probably impacted by one of these uh, two cybersecurity requirements that are being rolled out to businesses. And a lot of businesses don't realize that these things are happening right under their nose. Um, so first one is CMMC, which is uh, basically going to be the DOD's rules, regulations for doing business with the Department of Defense. If you want to contract with the Department of Defense or a prime subcontractor, you're going to have to follow CMMC. You're going to have to be in one of three levels, level one, level two, or level three, depending on the scope of your contract, what kind of data you're entrusted with or you're dealing with, and this, and you know how much money you're actually making. So a small business that does that's basically dealing with unclassified information, it's probably going to be a level one for a period of time for a while, um, and then as you increase your contract uh, dollar amounts or you're dealing with more sensitive information, you might have to be a level two or a level three if you're dealing with top secret information. If you're dealing with any kind of weapon systems or anything like that for the DOD, you're automatically going to be a level three. So that's just kind of that in a nutshell. Uh, but the big update for CMMC is essentially that everything's being kicked down down the road again. Um, they're, they're delaying things by another six months. There was a symposium or, you know, get together in Washington last week um, where they talked about a lot of these things. And it's just, you know, getting kicked down the road where, you know, businesses aren't going to have to do anything yet with CMMC. And as of right now, the guidance is, is that any any language about CMMC in any government contracts does not have to be followed. So um, my personal opinion, guys, is, is 
I don't. I just. I'm. I've been skeptical about this CMMC since it was rolled out, and I've probably said it on the show. I lived through NMCI with with the Navy when they tried to kind of create managed services for the Navy because everything was kind of like a patchwork uh, system that you know different offices, different places built their own networks and they wanted to make one big network and you know they thought they could do it in a couple of years and it took like 10 probably 15 years before it was fully realized and probably not even fully realized today to you know what they thought it was going to be in the beginning and i just think that it's going to be the same thing with cmmc like there's just too many things that are variable and different between big contractors, small businesses, and they're just not going to be able to come to an agreement on what, what this needs to look like. So it's fair for everybody. Um, you know, it, your current requirement is NIST number one, you need to follow that today, but you only have to self-report self-report doesn't mean lie. Doesn't mean make shit up. It means do an evaluation and report your score. Um, but a lot of these people don't take this seriously and they report these ridiculous scores that, you know, they would never achieve um, even if they were doing it the right way. Mm -hmm. um, and they're just going in saying our scores like really high and we're doing cybersecurity really good. And that's what they have to do. And that's what level one's really forming out to be that you're just going to self attest that you're doing these things and you're not going to have to be audited. Um, and that's kind of the update is that, you know, you're basically going to kick the can down the road for six months and they're going to revisit this in, in the spring and they're going to decide whether it's ready for adoption then. But based on the timeline right now, the earliest you're going to see language or the earliest you're going to have to have to, have to adhere to anything regarding CMMC is in 2024. That's mm -hmm. going to be the earliest. So. You got all of this year and you basically got all of next year uh, where you don't have to do anything and you probably won't, even though the recommendation was, hey, don't wait, start doing this stuff. Right. So so what's what's going to be the catalyst that finally gets this over the finish line? You know, unfortunately, looking at the writing on the wall, it's going to be a major contractor getting hit and, you know, military secrets getting out into the open. Yeah, I I mean, at the end of the day, there's 110 security controls inside of NIST 800-171 that these companies need to be doing today. Now, like I said, some of them choose to do it the right way, and some of them choose just to say, oh, I'm just going to go in and report my score. And, and then it, I think there's probably it. a subset in the middle, too, that, that just doesn't understand what they need to do. And they, they may have good intentions, but they're not doing it the right way just because they're not hiring the right people to implement it as well. Yeah, it's it's just, you know, it's at the end of the day that the government wants you to make cybersecurity a way of life, a part of your business. And that's kind of the what we're going to roll into here next with the FTC. So that's kind of the CMMC update if you have government contracts, which probably isn't a large percentage of the people out there. But the FTC rule affects a large percentage of businesses out there. And we read through the list of companies. Basically, if you... If you accept credit or if you, you know, contractors don't think that they have, you know, cybersecurity requirements, guys that, you know, build houses, right? But 
a lot of the contractors that we deal with, they get paid because they're getting loans through some company to get that work done. And many of them have financing relationships. Exactly. And they're collecting that information. Now, depending on how they handle it, the recommendation is, is that you minimize the amount of data that you store where you can, where it's legally appropriate. So for instance, I have a contractor who only does paper applications. Then he has a person go to a website and input that information into the system, hit submit. It's a secure website provided by the bank or the lender. That information goes in the system. When the, when the decision comes back from the bank, that paper is then destroyed. It's shredded, right? So they are not storing any information on their systems. And that's kind of how they're keeping things, quote unquote, secure in mm-hmm. their business. But not everybody operates that way, right? Some people are scanning that thing in. Some people are, ha- you know, sending out Google Docs saying, give right. us all your information. And, and not everybody, even when they're supposed to operate that way, operates that way. I mean, how many times have, have any of us seen uh, a situation where, you know, hey, you, you go in, nope, all of our credit applications are done through this online system and, and we just put them right in there. And then when we do our assessment, we find that, oh, well, this particular rep is entering all this information into a spreadsheet and then entering them into that website at the end of the day. So all of that stuff is still just sitting in a file unencrypted on that machine. It's amazing to me how many companies think they have things Mm -hmm. like a process that's hard and true. And then we go in and we do an assessment and we find out that having a process is great, but you also need to have a process to make sure that that process is being done. Right. right. And that's amazing to me how many times we go into a company and be like, hey, we found you know, this information on this person's laptop and they mm-hmm. think well, we only have stuff in, you know, our system and our Salesforce and our server. And, you know, you find it in other places all the time. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. They'll work for a hotel and um, they have to scan the, the, the guest's ID, but it turns out that, and it's web-based, but it turns out that although it's web-based, it still stores a local copy of that driver license on the computer. And they had about 900 um, driver licenses on the local C drive. So there's some, so just so everybody understands, like the FTC puts in these rules and they, and they, and they put out these safeguard rules. Um, and it allows the state attorney generals who, you know, work. And then it also allows the department of justice to work with state attorney generals to enforce these rules. And that's kind of how this works. So if you're going to get charged by somebody for this, number one, it's probably going to be post breach that they're going to go in and they're going to look at what you were doing. Um, And, you know, they're not going to proactively go in and make sure you're doing cybersecurity the right way. Right. I don't think anybody envisions, you know, that, but, you know, when you do report a, a data breach, you're going to have people come in and, you know, look at what you're doing. It could be law enforcement and then there could potentially charge you, uh, you know, with violating these rules. And why we wanted to bring this up and what the update is, is, you know, on the 15th of November this year, they announced that they were kicking the can down the road as well and extending uh, these safeguard rules or certain portions of them by six months. So, you guys want to talk about kind of what specific rules 
uh, were kicked down the road that businesses now have a deadline moved from December 9th to now June 9th of 2023 to do, I don't know what, certain things that need to be in their business. Mm -hmm. Let's kind of go through it. I feel like this is like very, very basic. Like, I mean, some of them are going to take a little bit of legwork. And and I think, I think to me, this is more a failure of getting the information out than it is the information itself. Like how many people have we talked to that, that this would adhere Mm -hmm. to had no idea that this was even a thing. Like, so they're not, they, they have no real effective way of getting this information to the people that are going to have to adhere to it. So that's why, you know, it starts getting close to the deadline. Everybody's like, whoa, whoa, whoa. We didn't, we just found out about this last week. How are we supposed to do this? But some of the stuff that's on here, like you could implement it today with, with minimal impact to your business. You're going to have some people who get confused because they've never heard of MFA before, but like MFA is something you could turn on today. And you know, you may have 24, 48 hours of a couple people confused and you walk them through it, but then you're good. So I got a question for you. First bullet point. It's very, it's very, it's worded very interesting to me. Mm -hmm. It says designate a qualified individual to oversee their information security program. That's very subjective. It is, but it has to be in writing is the thing. So I think that's the big kicker here. You can't just say, oh, I have an IT guy and I designate that person. I mean, this needs to be in writing. That's something that's big different from, you know, uh, that's a big change with this, with these safeguard rules. Well, and the thing that I'm not clear on with that bullet point and the way that it's worded. So there's there's two criteria in the FTC safeguards uh, updates. It's one, you have to designate somebody to, to you know, be the one who's implementing these things. Uh, but two, you have to specifically have somebody internal who is aware of those things. So, you know, it could be the same person. But if you choose to do a third party, which most of these companies probably should, um, then you still need an internal resource. And I'm not clear on if this bullet point covers one or both of those. I mean, I get it. If you haven't started the process of, of evaluating third party providers to, to do cybersecurity, um, that's a big deal. I mean, it's, it's, it's a lot more involved than hiring somebody to fix your computer. You know, you're hiring somebody that you're going to trust with the security. The, the, the thing that, that scares me is, is if this is more, you know, to uh, you know, keep them, uh, allow them a longer period of time to not have that internal uh, responsible party. I mean, that's something I think could be done today. You, know, you need to have somebody who is aware that this is a thing and who's responsible if you have a breach. So, so for small businesses, do you read that first bullet point as you need to hire somebody to consult with you on cybersecurity? Or do you read that as well, what do you guys read that as? Because I don't it's just trying to sum it all up. I mean, we ultimately would go back to the the FTC. Actually, literally have to go back to the law. Mm-hmm. But the FTC has published a couple of articles. Like there's one that's called what the FC, FTC safeguard rules mean to your small business. It kind of goes through um, all of this. So I think ultimately the person reading this would have to go back to, you know, either that that article or back to the law itself and i think the way that the law is worded it's it's you need to have somebody if you if you do choose a third party you still need to have a second person who's responsible so it kind of combines both of those things into the two so when i first started reading that i was like yeah that it's it sounds like they're 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 you know really kicking something easy down the 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 uh and the the crazy thing is the report 
The report has to also go to a C-level person, though, correct? Right. Yes. You can't that, just that's the caveat. That on-site person. If you choose a third party, you still need to have an internal person who's responsible for this. Um, and so that's that's the key. I, I think if they broke that out into, you know, where they said, okay, we'll give you, you know, six months down the road to choose that third party resource, but you still need to have a designated internal resource. You can choose them today that, that you know, ultimately has the the responsibility to be aware that this is the thing and that that your company is responsible for it because that's that's what we've been seeing is you know they kind of put their heads in the sand and then you know we'll you know blame the IT company for not not right. explaining that they needed cybersecurity uh, the insurance company kind of doing the same thing I think it, it would be it would have been nice to see them at least still require that that internal resource that is the the cybersecurity point person um, to you know limit them from being able to put their heads in the sand and said, well, I didn't know any better. I get having a little extra time to choose a, a third party cybersecurity firm because that, that's a big deal. Uh, but having somebody at least internally that now knows that that's their responsibility and they've got six months to find somebody, I think would have gone a long way to giving this a little bit more teeth and not just been a, you know, we're probably mm -hmm. indefinitely going to keep pushing this down the road. Right. So here's, here's what I would say. Well, I'm, I'm going to read off a bunch of other things that you got to do by June 9th as part of this. And again, if your business deals with money type transactions in any way, you take credit card information, you, you, you know, it's not just bank account information or running loans and credit. If you, if you take credit cards and you deal with people's personal information, you need to do this stuff. And if you have a breach, if this is an after the fact type of stuff, you know, you're going to get slapped down pretty hard and probably find or potentially charged uh, if you don't have these things in place. So develop a written risk assessment, easier said than done. Uh, limit and monitor who can access customer information, easier said than done, especially mm -hmm. most small businesses that I'm familiar with. Encrypt information in transit at rest, potentially, you know, moderately easy to maybe difficult depending mm -hmm. on what you got going on. Uh, train security personnel. I have no idea why they say security personnel. It should be trained employees, period. Um, you know, develop a written incident response plan. Uh, okay. Um, if you don't have a written risk assessment, you probably don't have an incident response plan. Um, implement multi-factor authentication whenever anyone accesses customer information. Um, you know, so... These are all stuff that, like Rye said, you can get some of this stuff done quickly. You can get some of this stuff's going to take a little bit of time. Um, but when you read all these things and you put them all together, I don't, like most business owners I know aren't going to know what half of this stuff means. Yep. Right? So in your mind, you either got to wrap your head around what all this means, which means you're, I don't know, watching YouTube for the next six months, or you're you're going to hire somebody to do this. Right. Right. So I guess the easiest way we can start talking to people about the FTC stuff is you need to hire somebody who knows what they're doing to help you out with this stuff. Yep. You know? And that's, and that's the bottom line. So, but, but to, you know, my point, you know, if they would have at least said you have to choose somebody internally, then that internal person now has the responsibility to, use that yeah. next six months to, to hire that that company or that, that right. third party personnel. Right now it's just it's like now you don't have to do anything for six months and that's another excuse in six months to push. Well it I down. think bullet points 
where it says de designate that person and then it says train that person mm -hmm. right so that might be just train that person on what your grc is you know what are you responsible for and then go find somebody that can help us you know be compliant or you know do the things we need to do um but yeah i mean in most companies it's just going to be the ceo i mean if you're a 10 person company or less yeah. you're gonna, you're the ceo is gonna have to own this um you can't you can't just give it to somebody else and and, and hope for the best because you're the one who's going to be getting the reports right um so all right guys so we got the holidays upon us and we know that the holidays are that time of year where everybody gets some kind of a phishing email around something that has to do with a holiday deal you know what have you i mean you go from halloween right into new year's so you have almost three months to use this time of year for various holidays and who doesn't like a good deal right um you know these are going to be cheap this year so i'm probably going to buy me a new tv um, and a lot of the so legitimate wanna, deals look look just like the fake ones that we're telling people yeah, if, you, if you want to push me send me an email that i want a free 85 inch tv and i might click on it um but that's that's it i mean that's what's going on this holiday season we kind of want to remind everybody um that be careful on what you click on be careful on, on what you open um because we are seeing things like this fishing kit that impersonates well-known brands that target us shoppers andre what's going on here uh actually skip me on that one please no <laughs> uh, <he's doing> <laughs> i mean randy what's going on here well it's, it basically kind of goes back to the whole ransomware as a service uh, type thing so i guess you could call this uh crime as a service or fishing as a service FOSS, if you will but basically it's a kit that the bad guys can buy and that well we assume that um then that is used to target people with specific ads or links looking like they can buy things um the crazy thing about it is is it uses a unique url for every single person which one if you click on it and even if your security software stops it they instantly know you're real it's not and then, and then two um your security software probably isn't going to catch it because it's right. not going to be recognized mm -hmm. as a bad um url so that's kind of the gist of it yeah. i mean ultimately i don't cat and mouse game they're, they're yeah. they figured this out they figured out how to register urls quickly yeah. and start using them you got it right the, the, the advice for this is, is no different than what it is at any other time of the year. It's just you're going to see it a lot more. You know, don't trust anything that's sent to you unsolicited, uh -huh. uh, you know, whether it's a phone call, a text message, an email. You know, if it's a deal that interests you, go to the website. Almost always the website is going to have that same deal where you can yep. confirm that. And if it doesn't, then that's just bad hygiene on the on the, uh, the person who's who's trying to put the deal out there. Call them on the phone and find out and make sure. But never trust anything that's sent to you. Always go out and get your you know confirm yes. your information before you respond to anything. If it's too good to be true, it probably is. Usually is. Um, so they, they they if it's salacious, there's probably something bad. You know they're 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 they want to prey on your emotions. Uh, P R E Y, prey on your emotions and get you to click on something like, oh yeah, wow, I wanted a new backpack. 
yeah look, i got an ad for one and it's only forty dollars well i think economics too like this year you know you're the, the the legitimate black friday deals that i've seen so far um are a lot less uh appealing than we have seen in years past um with all of the inflation stuff that we've seen over the past couple of years uh people are trying to recoup their costs they, they haven't made as much uh, as they have been in prior years i think a lot of those black friday deals are not going to be as good as they have been in years past so you know those those fake deals are going to stand out a little bit more because you know people are looking for ways to save money because you know just the same way that that's impacted the real uh, retailers it's impacted the average people so they're looking for those big deals and, and they're they're you know drooling over uh, some of these uh, options and then that's just there's falling right into the trap so when we very we no earlier i i clicked on a link because i want a free tv and all i had to do was put in my credit card for free shipping for the shipping <laughs> yep so i got an 85 inch t- tv for 35 bucks. Oh, this is true? No. Oh. (laughs) (laughs) But these guys are getting good, man. I mean, outside of the fact that, you know, be, you know, if if the deal's too good to be true, it's probably fake if you Mm -hmm. click on it. Right. But the bottom line is, is that these guys are getting very sophisticated with these phishing emails, making it harder for the security software that we put in place and for guys like us who are trying to do research to get to these pages. Randy mentioned, if you don't have that token, you know, present in the URL, you're not going to see the page. Um, And that's basically how a security researcher is going to, you know, try to figure out like what's going on here. And if they can't see this stuff, it makes it harder and harder. So Again, cat and mouse game. These guys are getting a little bit ahead of us on this fishing stuff, unfortunately. So don't be, be don't be a turkey. Stay safe out there. <laughs> there you, go. You, you finally said it, man. <laughs> <laughs> All right, guys. Thanks for your time. We'll see you All in right. the next show. Take care, everyone. Happy Thanksgiving. All right. Bye, y'all. Bye.